politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready as we head towards July 4th once again to fight anew for our life, liberty, and property as if it is 1776, but it's even more. It is June 30th, Thursday, last day of the second quarter of the year. But for us, we are already starting a new chapter. The day has finally arrived. We always knew this was coming. I was kicked off of Twitter after 11 years. Uh, My profile vanished. All the followers, everything I am following, everything I've ever written on there is gone overnight. And that is a microcosm of what we face. Twitter might be a so-called private company, even though it really should be like a public utility, but that is what they're going to do to us at a governmental level. Imagine if you're a doctor, you say the wrong thing, you say the truth about the bioweapon, and guess what happens to you? You lose your license. So Twitter's just Twitter, but this is a microcosm of what is happening on a more serious level to doctors, uh, soldiers in the military, all sorts of people having their careers destroyed. It's very telling, folks, that, as you well know, I am very thorough, I'm very informative, I'm very unique, I'm extremely passionate. So, I've said a lot of edgy, devastating things to the left's cause over the last 11 years. But notice it is the issue of the sacred cow bioweapon kill shots that get you banned. And that demonstrates amidst all of the sacred cows we've had over the years, obviously the rainbow jihad and the whole racialist agenda, right? Even Ukraine, this is the issue. And for good reason, for good reason. And this is why we're not going to let go. It demonstrates that this is the issue that's over the target. And I'm one of the people who are over the target. Let me just say this, a lot of your favorite conservatives, so to speak, that never get thrown off social media, there's a reason for that, because they are not viewed as a threat to the system. So first off, now more than ever, I'm really going to need you guys to send this show to everyone you know. Um, Twitter was my only social media platform that I really used over the years, so I don't have much else aside from my columns. So as always, you could find my columns at the Blaze, you click on my name. COVID columns are mainly at our other sister site that shares the name of the show, conservativereview.com, uh, because they're too scared to put the COVID columns there at, at The Blaze because they'll get deplatformed. This is the world we live in. This is the country we live in. For now, I don't know what my permanent landing place will be, but if you want to catch me, kind of my minute-to-minute uh, info wars... So a couple things. There's a, a fan handle that's been opened up on Twitter, Dan Horowitz Fan on Twitter. Um, I'm posting on Getter at Daniel underscore Horowitz. And then also, if you want to follow me on Telegram, which I hope to use more, it's the handle is COVID Truth Bombs. So those are the places you can find me for now, in addition to the columns, my email, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. You know, in Hosea 13.2, 
it states when when God's reproaching the Israelites for serving Baal, idolatry, it states an extra thing. Very interesting. And now they continue to sin, and they have made for themselves a molten image from their silver according to their pattern deities and all of it the works of craftsmen. To them they say, those who sacrifice men may kiss the calves. That speaks today... That, that, that speaks to today's sacrifice, folks. They sacrifice men in order to kiss the calves. As you well know, in Latin, the word vaccine comes from vaca, because it stemmed really from cowpox vaccine. They kiss the vaca, and in the process, sacrifice human lives. The next verse states, Therefore, they shall be like a morning cloud and like dew that passes away early, like chaff that is driven with the wind out of the threshing floor and like the smoke out of a chimney. Obviously, their, their time will come. All we can do is speak the truth. And really what I was commenting off of, I think I was responding to my buddy Jordan, Jordan Schachtel, yesterday they announced that they're giving another 3.2 billion so the FDA is investing another 3.2 billion into 105 million doses for Pfizer's fall future speculative omicron variant shots that don't currently exist they're taking it on credit remember they've already killed so many people maimed so many people negative efficacy viral immune escape the more you inject the more you infect Right, it's in front of us. Even Fauci, by the way, if you notice, he said, if not for Paxlovid, I would be in the hospital. Now, that in itself is a joke because it came back worse with Paxlovid. The point is, he didn't even say the vaccine anymore. The man in charge of it said, oh, it's, it's the therapeutic. So he admitted that the vaccine is worthless. And yet they are buying $3.2 billion more taxpayer funding to a corporation that brought in five times more profit this past quarter than ExxonMobil, and they are exempt from all liability, complete immunity. No clinical trials on their current thing, and and no almost no Republican has a problem with it. Now, I know one that does, one who does. Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to be our guest coming up in a few minutes, to discuss this and more, and where are we headed as conservatives? What's our future? How does that fit in or not fit into the Republican majority that is likely going to take hold after November? But as you could see, nothing matters. So Jordan Shackdale pointed out that if you do the math until now, Pfizer basically was charging the government $19 or so per dose, now they get a promotion to $30, $30 per dose. So I tweeted something like, hey, look at this bioweapon. After everything they've done and killed all these people, they get a promotion and still exempt from liability. Something to that effect, and that's what got me permanently banned, and I am off. But that is where we are with that. Do you know that CDC has their weekly morbidity and mortality report? Okay, it's straight up on their website. And they talk about the six-month to four-year-old newly approved shots. 
And I'm just going to read to you what is on CDC's website. Okay? And you'll let me know what you think. So they say, regarding potential harms after vaccination, the evidence was type 4, meaning very low certainty, for serious adverse events because of very serious concerns for indirectness because of the short duration of follow-up of one month after dose 3 and because only 31% of trial participants received dose 3, limiting the ability to detect serious adverse events that might occur at a higher rate after dose 3 and serious concern of imprecision because of the study size. (laughs) The CDC literally puts on there, we really don't have a very high certainty as to the level of threat from serious adverse events because the studies, the sample size is small. Only 31% completed the trial and there was a short follow-up. And yet they approved it. And yet it's, I mean, it, this is the unique thing. It's not like you have to go to a right-wing blog site. It's not like you have to rely on hearsay, rely on insider information quoted by your favorite conservative talk show host. Everything we say is sourced. It's there in plain sight. And it doesn't matter. That's what an idolatry is. It doesn't matter. They go on to say, there's no data available to assess specifically prevention of COVID-associated hospitalization. Or asymptomatic SARS-CoV-2 infection. (laughs) It's right there. Doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. Where are the Republicans? What is the state of play? So I know, you know, rather than hearing me drone on, as always, we've had some really exciting guests this week. So we have another one today that I want to get to. Our interview today is sponsored by our friends, at Moinkbox. Okay, folks? We know that your food is garbage. Okay, I'm just telling you. You get food, uh, meat and chicken wherever you get it from. You know what's going on there. It is full of terrible, terrible antibiotics and additives and <laughs> preservatives and junk. Um, kind of like the bioweapons in, in Big Pharma. We have that in Big Food. Moreover, it's owned by China, the Monopoly What if I told you you could support American farmers, independent farmers, independent of the cartel of China, and that Moinkbox is the best-tasting grass-fed, grass-finished beef and lamb, and with your box, whether it's the lamb, pastured pork, chicken, wild-caught Alaska salmon, really the salmon, salmon is terrific as well, delivered straight to your door the healthiest, best-tasting food. At a time like now, we really need to make sure we are independent when it comes to vital needs and what greater need than food itself. So keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com conservative right now. And here's the deal. If you sign up for your monthly boxes of your choice and assortment of meat and chicken, you will get free filet mignon for a year. That's one year of the best-tasting filet mignon. So again, go to get oinked with moink m-o-i-n-k box.com slash conservative that's moinkbox.com slash conservative so it's kind of bizarre that it's been over a year and a half and i still haven't had 
someone like Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene on this program, because we're at a time when, as you well know, you turn tune into the show every day because you feel nobody is listening to you. You listen to Republicans, you listen to even most of conservative media, and it's like, whoa, wait, are you living in the same universe as us? It's not even that everything they're saying is wrong, but it's just not where the fight is. It's not the issues that matter in the way they matter and at the time they matter. But in Congress itself, in elected positions, there's even fewer people that are giving voice to what the people care about. Because they're scared. I mean, they're scared of getting deplatformed like I did today. Um, we see that in the medical profession. People are scared to speak the truth because they don't want to lose their job. And in Congress, you don't want to lose your committee assignments. Well, there was one person who didn't care. I recall the comment that I've said before from Mark Twain. I forget exactly where he wrote it. But in the beginning of a change, the patriot is a scarce man and brave and hated and scorned. When his cause succeeds, the timid join him, for then it costs nothing to be a patriot. And that quote comes to mind when I think of our next guest, who has really incurred so much hate and scorn by the conservative media just as much as as the legacy media or the legacy conservative media, because she actually says the things that really do matter, not the kind of safe space things that it's okay for a controlled opposition to talk about. So I figured, look, let's get her on today and see if she is just as pessimistic as me or perhaps has something to look up to. Congresswoman Taylor Green, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. And, and it sounds like your audience feels exactly the way I feel in Congress, that, that nobody cares about our I will tell you something to give everyone some hope is that our voices are so much more powerful than we understand. We just aren't using them uh, loudly enough. And, 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 but I think that we can, I really honestly do. I think the American people um, that, that truly are fed up with the government and fed up how they put our country last in so many ways and our traditional family values in so many ways, I actually think that we can take our have to really work at it and and make sure that they're listening. So so I do have some optimism to share today. Sure. And and I think that's what's very frustrating. On the one hand, the people are ready. The people are absolutely ready for dramatic change. And we see that just south of you in Georgia and Florida, where you have a governor that is doing all of the things that previously we were told are not politically viable as a Republican. And in fact, he is succeeding politically more in what was formerly a swing state than ever before. And yet we can't get Republicans to do this even in, you know, Trump plus 30 states. And my question to you is, how do we prevent the same mistakes of 2010, where people are sick of the Democrat trifecta control, they're clamoring for something different, and it all gets jujitsued into the Republicans, all the incumbents win. I mean, you saw that in Georgia, the same people who voted for you by an insane margin, despite all the money they throw at you, but they also voted for the other incumbents. They vote for incumbents. Uh, I'm not seeing much of a change in, in the primaries, what do you see coming up post-November? 
Well, I, I totally agree with you, and this has been the message um, that I have been speaking inside our GOP conference because it's a, a really great concern of mine as well. And I'm really glad you brought it up. You see, it's a good comparison to 2010. It's very smart. We have a huge red wave coming. People are voting Republican. Uh, turning They're going to turn out in big numbers is what's projected. Uh, looking at the House, we're looking to take it back, you know, with possibly a tremendous amount of seats, maybe historic. But I keep saying this, um, and the reason why I keep saying it is we need, we have, I, I call it the civil war in the GOP. Yeah, that is real. Um, and that is driven from our base. It's driven from our voters. And it's there because they have ignored the base for so, so long. Um, and the party has changed. And the party has changed with the people. But yet the party reflected uh, in control, the, the, those that control the Republican Party, they're, they haven't changed their ways yet. So, so I have leaned in uh, really hard into <laughs> this civil war inside the GOP. And I've le- leaned in for a reason because I believe in it and I believe it's necessary. You see, my background is construction and, and the construction industry. I mean, I grew up in it. I've worked in it for, for a couple of decades now. We, we go to a job, when there's a problem, we go to the job site and we look at the actual problem, whether it's in the foundation, whether it's in the walls, whether it's in the roof, we look at the actual problem with our own eyes and touch it with our own hands and we know how to solve it. And in the construction industry, we're committed to solving those problems. If we don't fix those problems and finish the job correctly, we don't get paid. And and that's that's the only way I know how to function. So going into government and, and looking inside our GOP conference, I, I, that's just the only way I know how to operate, so I take that with me. And I think this civil war in the GOP is so necessary because we have to solve our problems. And we can't solve our problems unless we rip them wide open and take a hard look at them. And sometimes that has to be in, in the public square where people have seen me spar with my fellow Republicans where I've attacked them on issues it's not a personal attack because to me that doesn't really matter, but it's, it's a purposeful attack in order to clean up areas of the Republican party that I, I really think needs fixed in order for us to succeed long-term. And that's for all Americans. Um, so, so you'll see me fighting with people. I'll continue to fight it, but actually I believe we have made a tremendous segue. We, we're really making progress in our conference. Um, I'm seeing the conference push to the right in, in really good ways, not all, the, not all the way there yet, but in, in promising ways that, that do give me hope. But I think the real work begins in January. And the reason why the real work begins in January is because the Republican base is coming off of great disappointment from 2020. And they're giving Republicans another chance, but they're also giving Republicans a chance for a second reason. It's because Biden and the Democrats are screwing up so badly. But I think I always give this warning is what we do for two years, starting in 2023, is really going to affect elections in 2024 and even 2026, because if we fail our our base, if we fail to, to truly put into action the words that many Republicans are speaking on the campaign trail, they're not going to trust us anymore. 
and I think that is is so so important because if we fail our voters and our donors, and then we're truly failing our country, and and we're we're making ourselves if we make ourselves useless, um, if if we don't solve the problems that are that are truly causing Americans to suffer, if we don't back away from foreign wars and and really address the issues inside our own country and at our own borders, then I don't blame Republican voters. Why would they vote for us? Uh, that's just how I see it. So I'm going to bring up the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and it's inside baseball, but everyone here appreciates this. I've been, you know, from the outside fighting every single budget battle since 2010. And mm-hmm. that's where it all is. Uh, you you know exactly how this is going to play out. Biden's still going to be president. The Senate is may as well be, let, let's just be charitable, 95-5 liberal. I'll be I'll be charitable there by saying there's five conservatives. So I mean that's that's done. But you I, I do agree with your assessment that the House conference has definitely moved over and we made some strides and perhaps maybe um some incoming people as well. But here's what I see happening that they they're not stupid. They indulge our issues broadly rhetorically. Um, but not all of them. Some of them they won't indulge at all, and I want to get to that with COVID fascism and vaccines and pharma. But other issues, certainly the border, they'll indulge it. But they know all too well that they don't have the Senate. Um, and even if, again, technically they get 51 seats, but I mean, these Republicans are just whatever. I mean, they're, they're literally Democrats. And Biden's president. Your only leverage, I mean, there's the NDAA, there's things that are considered must pass, like a farm bill or whatever, but generally speaking, it's the appropriation bills. That is it. And that's where we say we're going to fund what we're supposed to fund. We're not going to fund an invasion of the border. We're not going to fund Pfizer. We're not going to fund drag time. All of our grievances, that is, you know, as Madison said, the House, the people's house, and the power of the purse is the last, um, just paraphrasing here, the last redress of our grievances. But they're going to say, look, we, we, we passed it. They'll unilaterally pass some good bills out of the House, knowing it won't get, get go anywhere. And then they'll say, well, look, we can't have a gov- government shutdown. Let's wait another two years of 250,000 illegals a month of babies and toddlers being jabbed with shots that are you know, proven to be problematic at this point. Who knows what we'll be on to, what iteration then. Uh, another $100 billion for Ukraine. You see what I'm saying? Time is of the essence. How do you use your leverage in the House? This is such a good question. Thank you so much for asking it. And and you're right. The real power is is in the spending bills. It's in appropriations and budget. And for the next few years, other than investigations uh, and oversight uh, through committees, this is the one place where Republicans can project power and also signal to the base that we are we are who we say we are. And I, I, I think this is such a, a good thing to talk about. Now, I'll go two ways. Uh, the way the way I have been successful as a fresh member of Congress without committees is because I go directly to the people, um, because I believe they're our customer. That's who we work for. It's not the lobbyists. It's not the, the CEOs and boards on, on big corporations. Um, it's it's not other countries. It's not the UN. It's not NATO. It's not WHO. We don't work for those people. We work for the the American people. So I always go directly to the people, and and rally with them to to bring their voices to Washington and get them 
get them activated. I believe in activism. I really do. Um, so here's what I think. I think with the budget, there's some key things in appropriation, key things that Republicans need to defund or refuse to fund. Number one, uh, I'll, I'll go with vaccines. I'm not vaccinated. I, I truly am personally against them. Um, I do respect people's choices if they want to get the vaccine, but I, I am staunchly fighting for people to have the choice, and I'm fighting for investigations into the bears reports mm. and, and into the, the, the pharmaceutical companies that have been funded with American tax dollars to create these vaccines. So I will be fighting for to defund uh, COVID vaccines in the military. I will be fighting to defund uh, American tax dollars going to creating, uh, continuing to pay for COVID-19 vaccines. I will be fighting to defund any bioweapon research and related vaccines and development to those. I'm completely against that. Um, I will be fighting. Uh, I, I've, I have co-sponsored a bill to for the United States to pull out of the U.N., to pull out of the United Nations. I, I don't think they serve us. They don't help us. It is a globalist um, group, and I think it's America last. I believe we should pull out of the UHO as well. Um, I, I don't think we should be funding any school with federal dollars that bring in trans strippers that do drag queen shows. Um, any 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 school educating with CRT, um, I think that needs to be completely defunded, and that needs to be written in our budget and, and any appropriation bills. I think we need to defund woke training in military and all federal agencies. The, these are so damaging. Um, when, when their human resource departments are working on equity, inclusion, and, and all of that, I, th- that's the wrong purpose, completely the wrong purpose. Um, I would also fight to defund anything with gender-affirming care. That, is, that should not be anywhere uh, in our funding for any agency or the military or school. Um, just doesn't belong there. And then um, also, I think we need to take a microscope to the Department of Justice and the FBI. Those are those are federal agencies that I'm extremely concerned about because of the radical nature and direction they've taken um, in targeting conservatives and Trump supporters. Uh, that that I think needs to be looked at, and we need to be willing and brave enough to defund any any programs or initiatives there that continue to do that. Um, we all just look in law enforcement agencies, period. We need to we need to build up our ability to enforce our laws, but not use them in a two tiered uh, justice system that targets half of half America because of their political beliefs. Um, I would defund the ATF. I've, I'm, I've been very vocal on that. Things things we need to fund is our border security, our ability to fight the fentanyl poisoning uh, which is murder of Americans. Uh, we could talk about the border all day long. Um, I would also go further. I'm I'm not a big fan at all of American tax dollars being being sent in such massive quantities to foreign countries, especially foreign countries that are allowing their citizens to invade our country at the southern border. Um, that's that's one place I think we definitely need to look. Department of Education, of course, we could talk about defunding that all day long. I think that's a really difficult hill to climb sure. um, in reality. National I mean, because there's the this arts. systemic I mean, stuff. Keep going. Yeah, there's the systemic yeah. stuff. But you're talking about until now, these are one offs. OK, 
Okay, these are things that redress right. what is currently going on. When you talk about the FBI, they're literally tracking, surveilling, and then sometimes arresting people that even they are not alleging to have committed alleged to have committed a crime. It's really driven by their political views. Um, this is this is very very disturbing. COVID fascism criminalized our existence unless we take an action against ourselves, whether a mask or a vaccine. January sixth was the pretext to criminalize our political views. Um, and, I mean, this is this is scary stuff. And again, I don't. I mean, our audience will note that we don't hear your little riff there. We don't hear that from most others, and that's what's concerning. So I would say what you guys need to do is really. Aside from the budget bills, even when you're doing the standalone, to push categorical bills that cannot be used as what I call loincloth bills, where they're just enough to indulge our rhetoric to fool the base, but you know they're not designed to really do anything. And even even just unicamerally, sometimes if it's hardcore enough, as you well know, they don't want to touch it. They don't want to touch it. Oh, uh, I, I totally agree. And we have to stop spending an omnibus bills. They need to be broken apart. You know, I think it used to be like 12 appropriation bills. These these things need to be broken apart. That's one of the most frustrating things. And that's how they get they get members of Congress who have good intentions. That's how they get them to vote for the worst things is they pack it all together. Um, and that that's completely wrong. But the best thing I know that I can do is by continuing to be vocal, no matter who the majority is, and telling people, look, this is what's in this bill. Tell them ahead of time before the vote happens uh, so they can call their representatives and, and say, look, I'm not for this. You need to you need to work harder to go back to the drawing board. And when it comes to a government shutdown, I have always been open about this. Shut it down. If it cannot function properly and is, and is spending money the wrong way for the wrong programs, then it deserves to be shut down. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect... Uh, private companies, it doesn't affect anyone because guess what? Everybody else still goes to work the next day. And I think everyone's <laughs> actually safe if if the government does supposedly shut down uh, simply because we can't get we can't agree on a budget. that that's not a crisis. That's nothing to pressure lawmakers about. Actually, that's that's the right thing to do is to get the budget right, whether it shuts down the government or not. That's not an embarrassment. That's actually that actually means we're working. I'll never forget when Mitch McConnell in 2020, towards you know the end of the fiscal year, September, when he was like, "Okay, we 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 reached an agreement to we avoided a shutdown," and I was thinking, "You just had the shutdown of humanity, of schools, of people's ability to breathe, move anywhere, and your your focus is on ensuring that a yeah, 17% government shutdown doesn't happen that no one cares about." I mean. But that's that's the way these guys think. And my my question to you is, I I struggle to give over to people how you could have negative efficacy with GOP control, kind of like the Pfizer shots, right? Because it's hard to understand. People don't think, well, I understand they're bad, but how could they be worse? But here's what I see as your challenge, and I'm curious if you've thought, game this out. Um if you look at it statically, typically Republicans won't initiate as many bad things as the Democrats will. But if you look at it dynamically, we're not governed by legislation anymore. We're governed by the next current thing. So, And, and, and they're going to induce more of them when Republicans are in control. So will Republicans wake up one day and say, you need to lock down, get a jab, get a mask, you know, do this? No. But the left will come with a new thing. 
and it will be very scary looking, and there'll be a lot of censorship, a lot of misinformation, and they'll buy it hook, line, and sinker. So I thought we were done with it with COVID. They learned their lessons. We came to Ukraine, and within 24 hours, even some of the, and you know who I'm talking about, even some of the kind of Freedom Caucus type of guys that didn't buy into the COVID fascism, their only criticism of Biden was that he didn't give enough and lean into it quickly enough. And I thought we learned our lesson from Afghanistan that when you have multi-ethnic, long historic fights, multiple actors, that there's really no easy play to make. And they destroyed our, they, our you know, depleted our, our military, um, a lot of our weapons. There's a big problem with shortages now. F- over $50 billion, you have the inflation. Mm-hmm. You have the induced supply chain shortages. And you're getting more Ukrainians killed because there is no way they're ever going to defeat the Russians in their strategic locations and the ethnically Russian areas unless we would assemble a World War II-style coalition and get in there, which certainly the Europeans aren't going to do. It is so obvious strategically, and yet, are are we making any progress? I'm only seeing about 5% of Republicans see it that way. Well, so let's start when this started, okay? And and I'm going to have to explain this a little carefully. I think, and it's been my experience just watching it happen, the easiest way to manipulate lawmakers into funding and voting for something is by telling them that you're giving them privileged intelligence. And the intelligence is saying this, and it makes them feel special and in charge. And and in order to save lives and stop these monster dictators and so on and so on. You've got to vote for this war because the Pentagon says so. And the intelligence is saying so when in all actuality, if you watch everything that's happened, uh, they get, they get tricked. Okay. They get fooled. And, and that's the truth. I have been one of the only uh, members of Congress to vote no against all of the funding for this war in Ukraine, but you're right. It's killing innocent Ukrainians and they wouldn't be continuing to die if we weren't, if our involvement wasn't there. And I voted no on all of it. And I've also voted no on all the sanctions. And I'll tell you why. Um, I'm not, I'm not pro Russia. I'm not pro Putin. I'm pro America. And I'm, I'm for innocent people. And if we really care about saving lives, we would have, in the beginning, and and would still be doing it now, have been doing everything we could to urge Putin and Zelensky to the peace to the to a peace agreement at the negotiating table. We would not be funding war and and screaming all these horrible things about Putin and Russia and engaging in a proxy war in Ukraine, which is exactly what we're doing. And the sanctions are so problematic because the sanctions are driving inflation. People can't afford groceries, can't afford gas, can't afford gas. Here in America, because of a lot largely to do with these sanctions against Russia because of this proxy war in Ukraine. Another problem is if you live anywhere else in the world, maybe in Africa or these other, uh, you know, much poorer countries, they're starving to death because America is fighting a proxy war against Russia and Ukraine. And that's just the flat out truth because Russia's the Russia, you know, they're, they're like, the amount of fertilizer that comes out of their country, grain that comes out of their country, um, the tremendous amount of trade that, that happens there, and all of this, you know, the UN and NATO nations and everyone leaning in, sanctioning Russia, 
really hurts everyone economically and and will and causes starvation. That's not a very smart humanitarian move by these good good people in Washington, and it doesn't make sense. And I've been very vocal against it, and I'm I've even leveraged uh, my voice even more today. I'm very upset because now we're a member of NATO, which is 30 countries, mostly in Europe. And we basically pay for nearly all of it. You could say we, I don't know the exact figure, but it's around 70%, give or take. And NATO is driving hard into this war with Russia, nuclear-powered, nuclear Russia. And, you know, they're talking about Russia being an aggressor, but if you really take a hard look at it, NATO is being a serious aggressor in the United States is. Upping the amount of troops to 300,000 now. You know, Zelensky is basically the general running this entire operation, demanding more weapons from the West, demanding our involvement. And the American people do not want to be in this war. And it's so upsetting. The only people that want the war over there in Ukraine are the people that make money off of it. And that comes with the entire military industrial complex. Uh, NGOs, all kinds of contracts. Oh my gosh, they go up and down the board. Businesses get started out of this. Um, and even humanitarian aid is as difficult as that sounds. Yes, there's money to be made there and that's kind of sickening. But that, that is exactly what's going on. It's really upsetting. And it's all at the cost to the American taxpayer and the American people. And so I just tweeted this a while ago because I, I strongly feel this way. You know, the people in Washington making this decision with the American taxpayers' dollars and, and with our military, they, they should be the ones that suit up and go to war. If they want to go to war over there in Ukraine, they should yeah, suit up and go over there, and then you got your commentators on TV that are, you know, banging the war drum. They should go to war and they should be over there um, to fight. But leave mine alone, leave ours alone, and leave our money. Because we want our all of our resources for the yep. border. We don't want to see Ukraine Ukrainians die. We don't agree with the war, but we are not in agreement with this this big NATO aggression and, and this you know cornering Putin to the point where he's going to you know start pushing buttons on his nuclear um, control board. That's terrifying. And I think this is what a lot of your colleagues don't understand that are stuck in the nostalgia of the 1980s, that they think, you know, this is Reagan working with John Pope John Paul and Margaret Thatcher against the Soviet Union. I say it bluntly. I mean, Putin's obviously a bad guy. They're not good actors. Today, we are the communists. NATO is the communists. These are the people that violated all the human rights the last two years and believe in transhumanism and everything. I mean, Zelensky is is one of the you know darlings of the World Economic Forum. I mean, they are the they are the bigger problem that impact our lives. Um, we don't have that moral clarity. Clarity. We have to clean up our own um, our own backyard. What I'm trying to figure out is, and I'm speaking about some of the more some of the better Republicans that get bought into this. Could you explain the psychology of, I, and I've watched this for years, and, and, and conservatives are, are uh, you know, afflicted with this, where it's almost like this pseudo-humility. You're not allowed to care about your own people. So you could only show outrage if it's another country. 
So obviously we have over 100,000 people who die from the fentanyl. We have the drunk driving incidents. We have the child molesters. We have, I mean, every day, even the Biden administration, CBP, they announce all of the gang members and child molesters and convicted felons that they catch and most of them we don't catch. I mean, that is a straight up act of war. The devastation to our uh, ranchers at the border and every, they just, you'll never say, oh my God, we gotta, we gotta, you know, send troops. But yet even some of the Freedom Caucus types when it came to Ukraine, they were, they were, you know, they were willing to lay it down. Or for two years, they violated our sovereignty, our bodily autonomy, everything you could imagine. And these guys were kind of muted. Some of them, if you know what I mean, I didn't even know they still existed. And then when Ukraine came out, I mean, boy, did those testosterone levels go up. I've never seen anything like it. Where does that come from? I have no idea. I can't even answer for them for that. I, I honestly can't. I couldn't explain it because I was shocked by it, too. Um, you know, starting in the beginning, it was myself and Thomas Massey were the only two voting no um, against all of this money being funded and all the sanctions. But I don't know if you noticed the number grew. And that came from outrage by our base. And, and I'm telling you, that's why people that are listening you may feel alone and you may feel like your voice doesn't matter. It really does when you make sure they hear it and you make sure they hear it by calling their offices, call the office five times a day, call, call all of our offices, like pick a number of offices and say, I'm, I'm, I'm spending 15 minutes calling these offices every single day, write an email, write a letter and if you're able, go to your, go to your local reps district office. If you're able Come to Washington, make an appointment and come visit us and tell us these things because I think it's, it's you. I, I really believe in the people more than I believe in anyone in Washington. Um, it's the people that matter. If you, if you hammer down on it, you can't give up. You can't say it one time or post it on Facebook or whatever and think anybody sees it or cares. You have to yell and scream. That's what the left does. They go on and on and on and on and on, but they're organized and doing it. I'm sorry, everybody. Our side really, really stinks at organizing and activism. So that's why I'm telling you, I truly believe in all of you, and I believe in your voice, and I believe it needs to be heard. But you're going to have to take it upon yourself in organizing and making yourself heard. You just have to. That's the nature of, of this problem that we have. And, and when you do that, I promise you, you will see a massive change. And that's what happened uh, to Republicans that started out voting for, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was so ridiculous. It was the most nauseating thing I've ever seen. At the State of the Union, when I looked around and our entire United States Congress was waving Ukrainian flags. And I was like, this is so messed up. It just was so upsetting to me. We should be, if anything, we're going to wave our own flag. Um, and it just, I couldn't believe it. It's like, okay, yeah, we don't want people to die, but this is absurd. But then the, the support waned, and it's waning in our conference and not waning enough in the Freedom Caucus. I'd like to see that more. But it's because people, they're not seeing, people are mad. People are like, stop spending this money for this war with Russia that we don't want. And that's the only way you can continue to push them. I push them all the time. And I, I mean, you've seen me tweet up and day, tweet it all morning long until you got kicked off of Twitter, which I cannot believe. Um, but it, it's, it's just, it's the only thing you can do is continue to tell them. But, but the problem in Washington is this, is it's a bubble. When you get there, it is, 
they get they get everybody away from their districts and their support base and, and yes. the, the what they know is right. And it, you get up in that bubble and you're don't all get alone it. and it's no, it's like another country. Washington D.C. is like another country. It really is. It's I, not I don't America. understand it. It's, it's like we're literally like taking on casualties here. The the stuff. I mean, you see the stuff we put out for over a year on the vaccines. The amount of issues yep. with them. The negative efficacy. It's it's in plain sight. It's in all you know peer reviewed journals. Even the CDC's own statements sometimes. And it and and yet. There's this GOP posturing, anti-vax is the new racism. So facts don't matter. No amount of facts that could ever come out about this. They made it very clear, and you speak to some of them privately. You know what I'm talking about. They'll say, look, I oppose mandates, but I'm I'm always for vaccines. They're like, well, well, what type? I mean, under what circumstances? What are you you talking about? So I'm going to put you on the spot here. I know we're almost out of time. Um, We need a voice on this. Either either yourself or some of the members you work with, is it possible we could get a, a historic change, a bill on the floor come January, or at least attempted, that will at least to a large degree reform the 1986 and the 2004 PrEP Act that fully absolves these manufacturers from all liability? Oh, I would love that. Oh, my gosh, I would love it so much. That that's the type of legislation that I've sponsored and and co-sponsored. I can't. I'll tell you right now, it won't happen in January. I'll be really honest with you. That's something that I have to talk with leadership and and have sure. to build momentum for. But it's something that should happen. But I, someone I'm needs totally to introduce it, it. Or, or or at a minimum, if yeah. they're going to see see my problem is I this. I have actually. <laughs> I already have. So my um uh. Uh, Justice for Vaccine Victims Act. It 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 has that in there. What it's bill totally... number is that? Do you know that offhand? Oh, I'll have to get it for we'll, you. We'll we'll, um, we'll look that up. But but your your bill, Justice yeah, for Vaccine Victims. It, yes, it investigates all the reports on theirs um, and requires full transparency there. And then it also takes away that that liability protection from vaccine manufacturers because I believe they don't deserve it. If, if people are truly dying and have serious, um, serious medical injuries from these vaccines, then you know what? They don't get to get away with it. And, and they wanted to hide the data for 75 years. And then some of the data has already come out. We, we know there's serious issues there. So I'm totally committed to that. I even got kicked off of Twitter. So I relate to you, <laughs> my personal Twitter account. Um, I lost it because of my being outspoken on the vaccines, COVID vaccines, and saying all these things. Um, so I totally know how you feel today. I'm really sorry. I just, I can't believe they took you off of Twitter. What concerns me, though, is you can always tell what's most important to them. Um, yes. By what people lose, get censored over. You got censored over Ukraine. Is that right? No, no, no. It was over the vaccine. Oh. It was over talking oh. about the, the deaths and injuries and and that's I, I think they're both like that because people have been kicked off for both. And I think those are the top two. But Marjorie, isn't it isn't it not a coincidence that those are the two issues that the GOP is literally on the other side of it? I mean, 
it, none of this yeah. matters to them. No, like I thought when they were doing it on babies, the old formulation that already expired and everyone agreed doesn't work and and and, and, and their own trial data was insane. I thought, okay, that's going to be a unifying moment. No, they, they don't say a word. They don't do anything. And that's why I think to me that the, your your immunity bill is so, so important because – I, I mean, we all don't like overzealous lawsuits, but the problem is if you're going to have the government fund it, partner it, market it, um, distribute it, pressure it through every single medical channel, and that's before you get to ma- mandate, you, you cannot then say you're absolved of liability. That's fascism. That's literally trapping people, um, and that's even before a mandate because that's not enlightened consent already that's close to a mandate, and then certainly if you mandate it, um, but I am, you know, Republicans think medical tyranny is over with. It's not. It is. It is continuing. No, it's not. It is continuing, and it can come back in even bigger ways. And that's why we have to stop it. I believe me. I'm. I'm probably one of the few totally on board with that. But here's here's the issue. If you ask why do they do it, why do they cave? It's because of fear. They're afraid to be accused of killing people. I mean, that's really if you bring it down to the to the bare bones essence of it. When it comes to COVID-19, what did the media and everybody say? Oh, they're dying. Well, you know, we, we know we know what happened there. We know that it, it mainly targeted the most unhealthy people in our population and elderly people. And that's what is tragic about it. But vaccines didn't didn't stop COVID-19. And natural immunity is the best, uh, best, best way to protect yourself from it. Um, but they, they're scared. Republicans are scared, and that is our problem. And as long as Republicans continue to be afraid uh, to stand up and stop things, then our country will continue to fail. And so my, my biggest message is in our conferences, we come to a point in our history, we're on the verge of collapsing. We really are. I mean, it's, 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 everything is propped up, and it's fake. And yes. if Republicans aren't willing to grow courage and truly fix these problems, then we are going to fail, and the Republican Party will be to blame. We can blame Democrats all day long, but it, when you stand yeah. to the side and you don't stop bad things, you're also to blame. And when it I, matters. Just, I don't want Republicans. Yes, when it At matters. At the time it matters. Like you said, it was you and Thomas Massey, and, and this was you know with Ukraine and with COVID, it was before you were there. Thomas Massey riding on a horse you know, from Kentucky. He was the, only, the yes. worst piece of legislation in American history that induced the lockdowns. It, it underwrote it, so yes. it, 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 rather than banning the lockdowns. And it created the inflation, and all these Republicans will look at you like, hey, Biden, inflation. You voted for all of that. That's right. That's right. Thomas Massey, oh, my goodness. I, I swear that story should be engraved in our in our United States history. It's literally one of my favorite stories, and that's why I love him so much, is when they were they were burning our Constitution, literally shredding it, tossing it to the side over this fear of this virus from China that our government created, by the way. Here, here comes Thomas Massey saying, no, we still have a process. The Constitution is still in place. Congress still has to follow the rules, and we have to do it. It's our job to do it. He was the only one, and he was everyone was against him, everyone. And he had that courage, and I, I just am so thankful for him. And, again, that's why you see Thomas Massey. We were the only ones voting no against this Ukraine stuff. A lot of times we're the only ones voting no. But I think courage is contagious. And I'm, that's why I'm excited about some of our freshmen coming in 
um, we, we have to build that. We have to continue to build it. But I have to tell you, it also helps when the people, oh my goodness, when the people speak out yes. and, and they say, we're not going to donate to you. We are not going to support your, you anymore in Congress if you're going to do these things and be, and be a coward. We're not going to vote for you. We will withhold our vote. I mean, people have got to get, as, as our members and uh, Republicans are forced to grow courage, we need the people to support it, support them when they do a good job and yell at them when they're, they're not doing a good job. You have to. It's, it's accountability. We hold that. We hold people accountability that we hire and pay to do a job. Well, everyone needs to look at anyone they elect in the same lenses. You've got to hold them accountable and make them do the job that needs to be done. Yep. Every day between those two years, between elections, are, is another election day because that's another day you could elect to get involved on the policy side, which is even more important than voting, especially in this day and age. You're a lot more impactful that way. Uh, do you do you have I know we're over time. Do you have five more minutes? Yeah. Sure. OK, so so just on this next current thing, because this is what we're scared about, that every new thing that they induce Everyone buys into until they realize, oh, whoops, we're duped, but it's too late. So obviously, you, you mentioned before that we need to ban all you know, bioweapons because we know there's a lot more where this came from. So I understand – I don't understand, and we need to fight it, but you know, the whole vaccine thing that it's off limits for Republicans. But you would think – you know, to me, I, I always had a different take. I always thought COVID wasn't fake. It was real. COVID, I think actually, I agree, generally it was older people, but COVID was a big problem because it was synthetic and it was created and it ain't just the Chinese involved. Is there an appetite? Is there a commitment in the conference to convene a 9-11 style commission or a J6 type of commission to get to the bottom of of who in America, public and private, was involved in the creation and what else is coming down the pipeline? That is one of the things we're talking about with oversight in the next Congress. Now, I will, I will tell you, I'm excited um, because across the board, they're talking about every single committee being an oversight committee and using the power of our committees while we're still in the minority, really, because of the White House and, and we're not sure about the Senate. Is, is investigating these things. And I believe that has to be investigated. That's one of the things I'm very, very interested in because you're absolutely right. Just because COVID-19 is waning, and yes, of course it was real, and it's terrifying, bioweapons aren't going away. They're, they're still happening, and our, our country is still funding them. Uh, take, for example, Hunter Biden and his investment uh, in, in Metabiota and there's not only labs in Ukraine, there's also labs in other countries yep. like Georgia, Afghanistan, and many other countries. This should not be happening. And, and something else that we have to remember and, and always face is I remember uh, a virologist that, that had escaped China um, early on, and she, she came and talked to us, and she told us, she said, China is experimenting with the ability to be able to target these bioweapons, these viruses, at, at people's um, specific characteristics like race. Mm. So if they can create – India, China's always fighting with India, right? If they could create a virus, say, that targets Indian people, then think what a weapon that is. Yes. If they can create a virus that targets um, 
uh, white people, think of what a weapon that is. They can create a virus that targets black people. That's an incredible weapon. Um, and that she said that's what they're working to do. That's what gain of function allows them to do. And that's what all of these these bio labs can do. Yes. And this this is stuff this is scary stuff. So you're right. It's not gone away just because it's not in the news right now and people people have really developed immunity and, and you know, they're not dying and, and on ventilators right now. It, it, we don't know what's to come. We just don't know. We, we, we don't know. And, and again, what scares me the most is that I think Wuhan is a little bit of a distraction. That might have been the physical location where perhaps it was done. But the technology, I don't believe, came exclusively or even predominantly from China. And, and that's really, you know, is this a Wuhan virus or is this a U.S. virus? And, you know, they talk about monkeypox, avian flu. And I don't know about you, but I, I never took Bill Gates serious. I thought he was a lunatic, but he seems to know when there's going to be something. So they're saying there will be another one. So I'm going to take them serious this time. And, and we better discover that before they unleash it upon us. And, and we're counting on you to, you know, hold them to it, make sure that's it. Final thing. Okay. Finally, the last thing. So medical freedom, right? You know, you think that's the biggest thing. We live in a country now where you have such fascism in medicine where you can't get proper treatment and then improper treatment is foisted upon you. Wow, that's that's like the worst you can get. What else could they do to you? Well, then there's the food supply. Um, and Because I've seen you comment a little bit on this recently. Um, we all know that all gets back to China. China owns most of our, our poultry uh, processing. We're seeing all these shutdowns. We're seeing these fires. We obviously have the inflation in food. Um, the monopolies kind of like, you know, just like we have in medicine, when government got involved in medicine, you have this, what I call venture socialist, public private, you know, pseudo medical system that's become very tyrannical. Well, in agriculture, because of these ridiculous farm bills over the year, over the years, we basically created um, land ownership monopolies, crop monopolies. What do we do about that? Isn't that a big, big red flag and, and a big, mm -hmm. uh, big ticket item of concern? It is to me, and and it's an area that I'm talking to a lot of people. You're seeing me talk about it because it, it has grown. It's growing into a major concern of mine, and I'll tell you why. It, it's like a sleeping giant that no one's paying attention to. I started saying food security is national security. I started saying that a few months ago. Um, then, oddly enough, I saw Christy Nome had an, had an op-ed in Fox News with that title, and I was like, well, gee, thanks, thanks for the compliment of copying my words. I'm glad she's paying attention to it, but it's an, it's an issue that we all need to pay attention to. And it's a problem that's been developing every year. So we can go on different levels. One of the problems is small farmers are in big, big trouble. Big farmers get subsidies. They get paid um, if they lose all their crops, and they make money if they can produce their crops and sell them. So they get paid either way, and that creates, you know, this this sort of monopoly with the big, big farmers. But small farmers are really, really suffering. Um, they're suffering from inflation, high cost of diesel, high cost of fertilizer, and that's not good. When small farmers are suffering, that means our food security is in trouble. Another thing that's happening is because of inflation and high cost of diesel and chemicals and all these things, not only are small farmers suffering, but cattle farmers, uh, poultry farms, they're, they're in big trouble. A lot of the cattle farmers that I talked to are talking about selling all of their cattle possibly this summer. 
completely getting out of the cattle business. And this is a lot of small operations, but this is dangerous because it will cause the price of beef to go down this summer. But you're looking at a major rise in costs in the next year or two, really two years. That's dangerous. And so that's happening simultaneously when we have Bill Gates, who, who wants everyone to eat fake meat and bugs, buying up America's farmland. That's something to really watch and be concerned about. That's a trend that is dangerous, not necessarily right now, but in years to come. Another problem is China buying up America's farmland. This is something that I think should be totally illegal. I believe it should be stopped. China should not be buying any mm. of our land, period, especially our farmland. Mm. I don't, I, I'm going to be pushing for that. I don't know why it's allowed to happen. And then another issue is these food processing and manufacturer plants catching fire. This one is a little bit difficult, and I'll tell you why. Um, I've just spent a lot of time in manufacturing plants over the years. It is common for there to be fires sure. in manufacturing plants. I know that's hard to understand, but, but it, it happens. It's, it's a pretty common uh, coincidence, unfortunately. And so uh, when all of this is going on, I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, well, how much is this? How much of this is normal? And then how much of it is not normal? Well, to me, it's not. It's it's getting to the point where it's not yes. normal because the numbers are growing and growing and growing. So I haven't talked about it a lot, but I am really going to start because I'm concerned about it. It's also yes. happening at a time where you. I mean, if you've listened to the language for years from from the World Economic Forum and and those type of groups, they want to control every aspect of people's lives globally. And they that's the way to do the it. Food supply. Oh my gosh, that's medicine, security, food, health. Security. It's it's everything. And, and and again, you know, Take I used to, to food, I Take used to laugh to at food. those people. You know, people in this audience would email me over the years and stuff. And look, you know, I was focused more on the traditional issues. And I was like, yeah, what is that? I don't care. So I was, I was Charles Schwab, I, you know, Claude Schwab. I never heard of him. What what's the deal? But you know what? With COVID. They sure seem to get what they want. So they're not just some raving lunatic on the side. They seem to be able to do this stuff. So I'm going to take their statement seriously this time. And, and yeah, I'm not insinuating we know what is happening. I don't know. I don't have an answer about the fires. I, don't, I really don't know. But what I do know is that the FDA affirmatively is absolutely not concerned and doesn't want to look into it. And that bothers me why you would draw conclusions um, why you wouldn't start to wonder, hey, is there something going on? It's coinciding with um, multiple, multiple um, recalls, formula, peanut butter, chocolate. There's sev several others that are just, it's just kind of bizarre and then coinciding with the record inflation anyway. I don't know. But all I know is the outcome sure seems to be that everything that matters to life, liberty, property, um, civilization, culture, our ability to live with dignity – vital goods and services somehow seems to be on fire uh, physically That's and, right. and metaphorically. That's right. And, you know, it's also this attitude is isn't so important. We, as Americans, we have lived the best lives in human history with all of our modern conveniences. I mean, the fact that we have air conditioning. Oh, my goodness. You know, There's nothing you better than that. History, yeah, we have cars, we have dishwashers, washing machines, we have electricity, we have lights on whenever we want it. We can pick up a little square or rectangular black box and call anyone we want. See, that's, we're so spoiled. 
but we are also so naive and forgetful that bad things can happen to anyone, any country, any civilization. And I'm in agreement with you. There's just things lining up that you'd have to be a fool to ignore. And and I think, unfortunately, many of our leaders are fools and they're ignoring the fact America's not too big to fail. We're not too big to fall. And we sure are in a fragile, delicate state right now while we're overextending ourselves uh, with the warmongering with Ukraine and then looking at China with Taiwan and and then looking at ISIS growing in the Middle East, they're ignoring everything important at home and, and not solving, truly solving our problems, even down to the very basic necessity, which is food. So that, I'm with you. I, I am really concerned about it, and I think everyone should be. This isn't a political party issue. This is a survival issue, and that's why food security is national security. Bingo. These are all the issues that matter. Well, we didn't touch on all of them, but a lot of them. I really thank you for giving us so much time. We always like in-depth discussions, and we certainly have to do a part two. And I'd really love to partner just when you come up with legislation so we could rally people around this, even if you're a minority of the minority and after January, minority in the majority. But you know, I think what you're proving is that more than a vote as a member, especially nowadays, you are a voice, a voice. And that's really um, what could serve as a force multiplier to draw attention to these issues. And, uh, you know, we look forward to working with you in the future on this. Well, I really appreciate it. And I'll have my team send some of my legislation over to you so you can you can pay attention to those. Thank per- you so perfect. much. God bless. Take care. So there you have it, folks. That was the one and only Marjorie Taylor Greene, Congresswoman from the 14th, I believe, the 14th District of Georgia. And, you know, you listen to her and you hear a normal person, just a normal person like you and I having a conversation together. And she is what you get. There's no games She totally gets the issues that matter in the way they matter at the time they matter. And you look at her and you look at almost everyone else and it's like, oh my gosh, that's the duopoly. And one of the big albatrosses around the necks of so many respectable conservative journalists and media types and talk show hosts is that they are so obsessed about image. And, and, in a prior universe, I was like that to an extent like everyone else. Oh, she said things you can't, oh, you know. I, I mean, I don't even know offhand everything she said or didn't say. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that there's some things that she has said that I wouldn't say. But then again, there's probably things I've said that she wouldn't even say. Um, heck, she's still on Twitter. I'm not. But, you know, is, what would you rather have, a person that cares about us as an elected representative on all the issues that matter, or they'll be a little off message in their fight for us while no one else is fighting and say one or two things, hey, you wish you wouldn't have gone that far or said that or added that point. But this is what consumes, and you know what I mean, these respectable conservatives. It is more of an imprecation to God and country to have people like the respectable conservatives that maybe they won't say that, but they sit by and join with the democide against us in every other issue that matters. 
So stop getting caught up on the statements and the, oh, they, they're disqualified from, from, from being a human because they one time got, you know, roped into a certain term or statement or whatever. Just sick of that. Disgusting. But anyway, that was refreshing to, you know, and empowering to hear that someone's going to not back down and not care about being called names. But understand that there's so few like that. There are so few like that. And that's why unless you get in their faces, and that was her point, you ain't getting the goods. So I wish I could have gotten to some of the news of the day. The Supreme Court just screwed us on return to Mexico policy. So we have that issue. Now maybe we'll talk about a little bit tomorrow for our July 4th show. will be our last show before July 4th. Um, and then we'll be back Tuesday. But again, I'm off of normal Twitter. You could find Dan Horowitz fan on Twitter. You could follow me. Um, I think for now I'm going to be posting on Getter, Daniel underscore Horowitz. And then at COVID Truth Bombs on Telegram. Folks, this is where it's at. One other public service announcement. Um, COVID is coming back. And there are some of the doctors that I speak to that are a little bit concerned about the current variant, especially if you had the shots. Um, but who knows anymore? Because this is Vandenbosch's warning. Natural immunity is starting to fall because when you have such a viral immune escape created by the vaccines, who knows what's going to be. So make sure you have the treatments you need uh, at 7cells.com. My promo code Daniel is still active, I think, and they're actually running a 30% off sale through July 4th. So they, they have different treatment packets. Some are more expensive, some are less, between some mix of ivermectin, hydroxy, nitazoxanide, um, high-dose vitamin D they have, and then they have methylprednisolone, the steroid, azithromycin. So they have the key elements that you need. You could also buy them individually. So shop around there, promo code Daniel. And again, I need you to spread this show far and wide. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. I'm, I'm really going to count on you now that I've, I've lost my only major social media platform over the years. Um, but it's worth it. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Censor myself and not, not say what's right? Um, you know, all these guys are sitting on their millions of followers and they don't, you know, you know, they say I'm pro-life and everything. You know what I mean? They're able to say all that stuff, but the stuff that really matters and the way it matters, when it matters, notice they will not say it. That's why we are where we are. I'm not going to back down. I had a guest on today who isn't backing down either. We need you to join the fight. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all and thank you for listening.